Good evening. Now this is a pulpit. Amen? Last night that was a music stand. But this is a pulpit. Amen? Have you been blessed that our week of prayer filled me, our earnest plea? Are you excited tonight? I'm excited as well. Um, by the grace of God, the Spirit's presence here will warm us up a little bit. Amen? This is not the California that I signed up for. I wish I had a receipt, right? But I don't. Well, uh, for those of you who have not been with us from the kickoff, um, what was our, the title of our first message? Fill me our earnest plea. That's the easy one, right? And what are the three things that the Bible, that we discovered the Bible says that humanity fills themselves with constantly? The east wind. And what is the east wind? Empty knowledge. What else? Arguments against God. We live in a very secular, postmodern, skeptic, agnostic world, especially here in the Silicon Valley, where humanity is constantly filling themselves with arguments against uh, the existence of God. And finally, what was the third? Intoxicating drink, right? We see that humanity is not only filling themselves with intellectual or philosophical poison, but they're filling themselves with existential poison and what are the four things that we saw that the bible tells us that we need to fill ourselves with or that god fills us with we were we, we saw that ezekiel was told ezekiel fill your belly with the scroll why the scroll what did we say the scroll had it had the words of life amen what was the second thing that we saw samuel was commanded to fill he was commanded to take up his horn and to fill it with oil and to go. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what God is calling us to do tonight. To stop lamenting over our failures, over the death of the Saul's in our lives. God has another anointed way that he wants to reveal to you. What is the third thing that we're supposed to fill ourselves with? Re laughter. Pastor kind of just demonstrated it. Amen. He was laughing. Laughing. Laughter and rejoicing. And finally, what else? Joy and peace. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have these four ingredients in your life, you are going to be living large. Amen? Amen. You are going to be living large. Hollywood celebrities are dying to figure that out, what you and I just discovered Sunday night. They're dying to figure that out. Monday night. Last night, we talked about the spirit and new beginnings, and we discovered that planet Earth had three very interesting characteristics before God did his magic work of transformation on it. What were the three characteristics? Number one, it was without form. And we threw a Spanish word in there. Remember what the Spanish word was? Desordenada, right? That, that word reminds me of my mother when I was a little child coming in. I could just picture her with a chancleta. Anybody know what a chancleta is? I won't give you the details because it's not rated G. What happened after that? My mother was hardcore, single mother. All right. So desordenado, it was messy, chaotic, right? Number two? Void, empty, yeah? There was a, there's something missing. There's a piece of the puzzle missing. And then finally, darkness. And we saw that Paul, the apostle Paul said that the same God who spoke into this planet, let there be light and began a work of transformation, so much so that when you get all the way to the end of chapter 1, the conclusion is, behold, 
It is very good. He says, the same God who spoke into the world is the same God that speaks into our hearts. The same three conditions of planet Earth before the Spirit of God moved upon it is the same three characteristics of you and I before the Spirit moves. And we say that if your life is full of darkness, if your life is a mess, and if you're empty, you are in the right place. Because the Spirit of God wants to move upon you tonight. Amen? Amen. Tonight our message is entitled, The Spirit and the Breath of God. If you have come with stinky breath tonight, you're in the right place. Amen? We're going to talk a little bit about the Spirit and the breath of God, okay? And don't go for your Tic Tacs, because then it's going to be even worse, okay? Is that my dear sister, Marta Lacayo, that I see? God bless you, Sister Marta. This is my adopted mother. She calls me her adopted son, so I guess she's my adopted mother. Good to see you. It's been a while. I haven't seen you. Let us uh, bow our heads for prayer, and let's jump right in. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, here we are. Day three, fill me earnestly. Father, we would like to, to see a change in our lives. Father, we would like for you to change our taste buds. We would like for the promise of that little book, Steps to Christ, to be fulfilled in us, where the author says that the things that we once hated, we now love. And the things that we loved, we now hate. Father, can you do that for us this evening? Can you begin to rewire us and reprogram us so that our taste buds can change? Father, you tell us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, we want to taste you tonight. And may you help us to realize that there's nothing in this world that, they, that tastes better than you. Give us your spirit, Lord. Hide me behind the cross. We did not come to hear the words of a man. We came to hear the words of Jesus. Hide me behind the cross. We would see Jesus. Fill us, Lord, our earnest plea. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's fascinating because the Holy Spirit, we, this is really what we're talking about is the Holy Spirit this week, is a personality that is a, is a mystery. And ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit will forever be a mystery. Uh, the specific details will be a mystery until we go to the kingdom and see the Spirit with our own eyes. Amen. I have a good friend of mine. His name is Pastor Daniel Mesa. Daniel Mesa was a crazy uh, heavy metal guitarist. He used to do all kinds of crazy drugs. He had an encounter with Jesus and had a complete 100% transformation. And Pastor Daniel Mesa always used to tell us, you know, when we get to the kingdom, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my Bible and I'm going to take it with me to heaven. And he says, when I get to heaven, I'm going to walk to the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give the Holy Spirit my Bible. And I'm going to say, Holy Spirit, teach me. And Daniel proceeds to say that the Holy Spirit is going to spend a thousand years in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he's going to spend another thousand years in verse 2. Ladies and gentlemen, we have no idea what is ahead of us. Amen. 
The Holy Spirit is symbolized in so many different ways in the Bible. It's almost as if the Bible writers are trying to describe something that tastes so good that they just, they have no other way of describing it, but, start, but they start using different symbols. You ever tasted something very, very, very good, and you're trying to explain to your friend who has not tasted that thing that is very, very good, and you really don't have any words, and you're trying to describe it, and you're just thinking of analogies? You guys know what I'm talking about? When you taste pupusas, any Salvadorians in the house? First time I tasted pupusas, I was like, wow. I think I just died and been resurrected in the kingdom. Amen? Or when you've had a lumpia or pancit. Any Filipinos in the house? Okay, we got a few bashful Filipinos in the house that are not as patriotic, but that's okay. So the Spirit of God is like this thing that the prophets, as they were in their jail cell because many of them were arrested for preaching the faith many of them were trying to figure out how can i express to humanity the holy spirit so they're like oh there's no other way the holy spirit is like it's like oil the holy spirit is like a dove the holy spirit is like water the Holy Spirit's like rain. The Holy Spirit is like fire. It's like the flame. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, is like wind or air or breath. This evening, we're going to talk a little bit about the characteristic or the symbolism of the Holy Spirit as wind, air, and breath. And the million-dollar question is, why in the world does the Bible associate or personify this Holy Spirit person by the wind or by air or by breath? Question, how important is air? How many of you held your breath since you walked in here? Right? What would happen if you would hold your breath for a perpetual amount of time? You would begin to change colors. Amen? And it's not because you're filled with the Spirit. Amen? Air is essential for life. Air is not a good thing to have. Air is a thing that you have to have in order if you want to keep living. Did you know that our planet would not be able to survive without air? The plants and the animal life would die without air. The air that we breathe is one of the most essential elements in nature. We can go throughout a whole lifetime without sight. I have a good friend who's legally blind, and he's an amazing preacher. And, he's, and he, in spite of his inability to see, he's a fiery preacher. We can go through a whole lifetime without sight, without the ability to hear, or without the ability to speak. In some cases, we can live weeks without food, except if you're Hispanic, amen? <laughs> or if you're Filipino, <laughs> and that's the vast majority of us tonight. <laughs> but in some cases, we can live weeks without food, days without water, but only a few minutes without air. When we stop breathing, we stop living. Air is the most fundamental resource that you need to exist. 
more essential than water, more essential than food, more essential than any other resource under the sun. When you stop breathing, you stop living. The reason why the Spirit of God is described as air is because the prophets are trying to communicate to humanity saying that the Spirit of God is the most essential person in your life. Once you stop breathing physically, you begin to die. Once you stop breathing spiritually, you begin to die. And the reason there's so many zombies in the church, amen? Amen? Is because there's a lot of religious people that are not filled with the Spirit of God. And by the way, this isn't anything new. This is a phenomenon that's been around since the beginning of time. Jesus had a conversation with a man named Nicodemus who was very religious. Not only was he a religious man, he was a religious leader in the local synagogue, yet he didn't know the ABCs of spirituality. And sadly, that describes a very large percentage of popular Christianity today. Ladies and gentlemen, we need not only a religious experience, we need a spiritual experience as well. Not only does God give us uh, religion, but he also gives us a relationship. And many of us are hanging on to religion while we're void of the relationship that we need. When we stop breathing, we stop living. When a person drowns, the person is given immediately first aid to restore respiration. Did you know that fire ceases to burn without oxygen? You ever wondered why your fire goes out in your spiritual life? It's kind of like a roller coaster experience. Am I the only one that has gone through that before? Where you go up and you go down. You have fire. But for whatever reason, the fire doesn't sustain itself. Ladies and gentlemen, it's because we're lacking that celestial oxygen, the person of the Spirit. The atmosphere that covers us is indispensable as a defense to heat, radiation, and ultraviolet sun rays. Did you know that? The atmosphere, a layer of atmosphere is there as a defense against the heat, radiation, and ultraviolet sun rays. The Spirit of God is your atmosphere. A person that is filled with the Spirit has a thick layer, amen? of a heavenly presence around them that is keeping the ultraviolet rays of the world from burning through and destroying you. Why is it that the Spirit of God is so essential? Is because the Spirit of God is your only defense in these last days. I want to invite you to open your Bible in the Gospel of John. You know, there are many, many books written on how to receive the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? If you go to the Christian bookstore, you will find many, many different perspectives and very large volumes that are explaining in a very intricate and very theological and very scholastic manner on how to receive the Holy Spirit. No disrespect to none of those authors. I think some of them have a lot of good stuff. But ladies and gentlemen, it's very simple, amen? I think before we look at the perspective of Dr. So-and-so on how to receive the Spirit, or uh, before we go to Professor so-and-so on how to receive the Spirit, why don't we go to Jesus? What does Jesus have to say? Amen? Nobody knows the Holy Spirit, Spirit better than Jesus. Amen? John chapter 20. This is right after the resurrection. 
John chapter 20, the apostles are commissioned. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 21. When you're there, please say amen. amen. Jesus said to them again, again implying that he said to them before, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. That's where we get the song, the hymn. So send I you. Right? Verse 21, as the Father has sent me, so send I you peace. Now notice what Jesus begins to do in verse 22. Something rather awkward. If I was there listening to Jesus share that beautiful word, peace to you, I'd say, ah, oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, we need this assurance that you are sending us, that you are our coach. But if I was there and Jesus did what he did in verse 22, I would be a little bit uncomfortable. Notice what Jesus did in verse 22. The Bible says that immediately after he gives this word of consolation, he said, the Bible says, and when he had said this, he what? <sighs> Sorry, sir. <laughs> he breathed on them. kind of weird isn't it thank you it's a bit weird has your pastor don't raise your hand ever breathed on you while he's preaching <sighs> right sometimes pastor we get feisty in the pulpit sometimes pastors need a leash amen because they bite sometimes they get too excited some of us do we do but has a pastor ever breathed on you huh that, I mean, it sounds pretty simple, but listen to why it's so significant. He breathed on them, and then he said to them, okay, I just breathed on you. Receive what? Receive the Holy Spirit. Could it be that easy? Could it be that easy, Pastor? If that's the case, we all need to get in a huddle and let Pastor Tony breathe on us tonight. Amen? <laughs> Okay, <laughs> some of you are concerned, <sighs> right? <laughs> Jesus breathed on his, on his disciples and he said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Why in the world is Jesus breathing on his disciples? But yet, they received the Holy Spirit. So if receiving the Holy Spirit is being breathed upon by Jesus, the million dollar question is, how do, how do we experience this? Amen? Let me ask you this question. When you listen to this account in the New Testament of Jesus breathing on his disciples, what other account in the Bible does it remind you of somebody being breathed on? Ah, the book of Genesis. Who was being breathed on in Genesis? Adam, thank you. Genesis chapter 2. Run with me. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. Notice last night we, we did the same thing we're doing tonight. We're going to the New Testament to understand a New Testament principle, and we go to Genesis. We went to Genesis chapter 1. Last night, tonight, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2. You see how the Bible is just kind of big, giant spider web? Amen? Go to Genesis chapter 2. You guys remember when you were in elementary, the little big books that kind of had weird 3D uh, images, and you had to, like, somehow go close and slowly pull out and people will say, yeah, 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 I see it. I see it. You guys remember those? What do they call those? Pol Thank you. 
Did any, was anybody successful in those things? I was very unsuccessful. I was mad. Everybody was like, oh, that is so cool. I see it. I was like, I don't see it. Why? I think I have a defective one. I need another book. I got all the defective books. I never understood that. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible is like a, what's it called again? Polygram, right? The Bible is like this. The more you look into it, the more you throw different Bible texts, you're like, whoa, wait a second. I see a connection here. Amen? Young people, whoever told you that the Bible is boring, they lied to you. And if you're reading the Bible and you're bored, it's because you're not reading it along with the Holy Spirit. Because let me tell you something, the Holy Spirit has insight that will blow you away. And after all, it was the Holy Spirit who inspired the Bible, so it makes sense that we should probably read it with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Genesis chapter 2, the creation of man. By the way, this is the crowning act of his creation. Although everything was good, the birds were flying, the trees were all nice and wonderful, that really wasn't the cherry on top. The cherry on top on the creation of the world was the creation of man and woman. Because the Bible says that they were created in the image of God, which we don't have time to get into. But in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, notice what the Bible said. The Bible says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And what did he do? Ah, there's that word. He breathed. Where did he breathe? I ain't letting nobody breathe into my nostrils. Amen? Except the Lord. <laughs> he breathed into his nostril. But what kind of breath was it? It wasn't the breath of death. Amen? It was the breath of life. Man's breath is the breath of death. But God's breath is the breath of life. And because Adam took in the breath of God, what did he experience? He became a living being. This is a fascinating text, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible tells us here, question, how did God create the planet and the different articles in planet earth the water the trees the land the mountains etc the stars how did, how did he do this he spoke them into existence let there be light boom there was light let there be a division with the firmament and the waters boom there was a division god was able to speak something out of nothing amen when god speaks in your life when you look at yourself in the mirror and you say man i am just nothing Guess what? You just qualified yourself. You have just passed the test to be something. If you allow those words that somehow shake the molecules and shake the, uh, the cellular, the, I, I knew I should have paid attention in biology class. You know what I'm talking about. Somehow moves the little guys, the little guys who move around. You know what I'm talking about. The molecular, thank you. We got a scientist in the house. Okay? When God speaks, nature listens. The only nature that doesn't listen is humans. So when you cooperate with the words of God the same way that nature does, you will experience change. Tonight, if you come and like, oh, my life is nothing, hallelujah, praise God. That means that God can make something out of you. The beautiful thing about God in Genesis chapter 2, is that although he spoke everything into existence, when it came to the creation of man, did he say, let there be Adam, and poof, there was Adam, big muscular guy. Is that what happened? No. Could he have done that? 
Of course, God can do whatever he wants. The Bible doesn't say that. In verse 7, the Bible says that God formed man but from where? From the ground. It's almost as if God rolled up his sleeves. And maybe knelt down and began to form man. You see, man and woman were too special to just speak into existence. God wanted to put a little bit more of his personality in the creation of man. So much so that he decided to get his hands dirty. Amen? And as soon as he made this beautiful masterpiece called humans, he breathed into the nostrils and Adam opened his eyes. And the first thing that Adam saw was the face of his maker. Ladies and gentlemen, that is why I serve the God of the Bible. Because no other religious idea, Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, Sikhism, no disrespect to anybody who's of that particular religion tonight. I have a lot of good friends in this religion. But the Bible is very unique when it presents the character of God. It presents a God who is very intimate, who is very passionate, who loves his creation, and who's willing to do everything in order to conquer their affection. The Bible says that God breathed into his nostrils, meaning that God had to come very close to man. God had to come very close. And in order for God to breathe into Adam, he had to come very close. He breathed into him, and guess what? His eyes opened. He became alive. What does this teach us? It teaches several things. This text is so rich. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 teaches us that humanity is not only physical beings. Amen? One of the modern ideas and teachings of our age is this thing called naturalism, which basically means that everything is natural and there isn't anything supernatural. Man is material. Man, uh, uh, mind over matter is basically the idea. So the idea with this is that there is no spirit world. There is no need for us to believe in God because if it's tangible, if you could touch it, if you could see it, that's all you need. Genesis chapter 2, 7 teaches us that man really has two components to him. Number one, the physical. God formed man from the dust of the ground. He formed his physique. Amen? But God Breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. That is a supernatural component. Amen? Amen? Far from being an accident. We said it last night and the night before. The idea today is from the zoo. From the goo, rather. Excuse me. From the goo to the zoo to you. Remember that? That's the idea. Evolution, right? We're a product of, of just amoeba. Life forms, right? Lower life forms were an accident. We weren't planned. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we see a different story. We see a God who had a very, very specific plan for humanity. And there's another text in the Bible that says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew you. God is a God who knows you by name. And the Bible tells us he knows how many hairs you have in your head. Amen? That's an amazing God, ladies and gentlemen. 
Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 teaches us the secret to life. How do we live? Simple, the breath of God. John chapter 20, Jesus breathed. <sighs> Disciples, <sighs> they began to experience the new life. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, Adam is a corpse. God comes close, very close to his nostril, breathes. Adam, <sighs> he opens his eyes and he begins to move and he begins to walk around. Maybe tonight you feel like you're a little dead. You've come to the right place. Because God wants to breathe life into you tonight. He wants to breathe wind into your life that will resurrect those amazing Christian virtues that you have in your life. One author, one of my favorite authors, his name is Ravi Zacharias. The guy is absolutely brilliant. He says... What is a weakness? What is a weakness? A weakness is only an uncultivated strength. Did you catch that? A weakness is only an uncultivated strength. So when you look at yourself in the mirror and you see the list of all of your weaknesses, you know what that is? Strengths that are just waiting to be active. Amen? Amen? So don't, you know, we, we, we give a lot of credit to the devil. Did you know that? We give him too much credit. Yeah, yeah, he's clever. He's, he's astuto, as they say in Spanish, right? He's sharp, he's clever. But ladies and gentlemen, the Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 4, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let's never forget that God is greater than Satan. And let us not justify our evil course because of Satan. John chapter 20 teaches us, that Jesus breathed into his disciples, and that is how they received the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 teaches us that Adam received the breath of God, and that is what gave him the ability to open his life, his eyes, and to experience life in a totally different dimension. Because this reality is very different than this reality. Amen? He was able to experience a totally new dimension of existence. And I guarantee you tonight that if you allow God to breathe into your nostrils, he is going to allow you to look at life with a totally different perspective. And that is what happened to many of the great Bible heroes in the, in the experience that they had. Run with me to the book of Ezekiel. It seems like every night we're going to Ezekiel. And as you notice, every time we go to Ezekiel, you just kind of like scratch your head because he has a very cryptic and very strange way of writing, okay? Ezekiel chapter 37. We are going to take a look at another illustration, another symbolism, another parable that I think is very vivid and is kind of, kind of unusual. Sometimes we don't expect the Bible to have certain types of ideas, but in Ezekiel 37, we have a very interesting idea. Ezekiel 37, beginning in verse 1. When you're there, please say amen. amen. The Bible says, and we're going to read all the way down to verse 11, so fasten your seatbelt, like my brother said. Verse 1, the hand of the Lord came upon me, Ezekiel, brought me out in the, what? Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of a valley, and it was full of bones. Ew. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were many, many, in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. 
And he said to me, son of man, do you think these bones can live? I love it when God plays with us like that. So I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. Ezekiel was clever. That's a good answer. That's a very good answer. Verse 4, again he said to me, preach to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause, what's that word? Ladies and gentlemen, that's the third time we see the word breath. We saw it in John 20. We saw it in Genesis 2. Now we see it in Ezekiel 37. I think that's one of the key words tonight. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you what? You maybe will live. There's a good, you know, scientific study shows us that there is a possibility that you will live. Is that what it says? No. It guarantees that if you, if the breath enters into you, you will live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you. There it is again. That you shall live. There it is again. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I, Ezekiel, prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, preach to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they, what? lived and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. Somebody better say amen to that. Amen. I was waiting. I was like, are they going to say amen? This is kind of weird, is it not? Ezekiel is taken into a valley, the central valley of California. Amen? Just kidding. Just kidding. You know how we Bay Area people are. There's like this valley, Bay Area tension, friction. Valley of dry bones. Has anybody been in, 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 in front of many, many real human bones before? Wow, you guys are very, very civilized people. God bless you all. I remember the first time I was in close proximity to a bunch, a pile of just dead human bodies. Well, there were bones at this point. They were so decomposed. And it was when I went down to Lima, Peru. Anybody from Peru here? Anybody been to Peru? Okay, we got some people been to Peru. I was in downtown Lima, and there's a museum in downtown Lima called El Museo de la Inquisición. It's kind of a, it doesn't sound like a very welcoming place, okay? The Inquisition Museum. Okay, those of you who are, have anything, if you remember reading in history, okay, the Inquisition was not, yeah, a very likable era of world history. And when you go down into this museum of the Inquisition, you see a lot of torture instruments that were used for those that were considered heretics, those that believed contrary to the common establishment. And then they take you underground. That's when it starts getting a little spooky. I mean, it's already spooky when you see these torture instruments, right? But when they take you underground, you know, it starts getting a little dark, darker. And you start getting more claustrophobic. And as you're going down, there's like a little tunnel. You have to go down. It's very, very narrow. And then all of a sudden, there's a sharp right. And as soon as you turn sharp right, there's a big pile of dead human bones.
Jesus. And immediately I kind of had a thing in my stomach, right? I was like, no way. I mean, I've seen this in documentaries. I've seen this in movies all the time, but this is it. So this was the experience of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was standing in a valley of dry bones. And then God has the audacity to tell Ezekiel to preach to these dead bones. And then first God kind of plays with him. Ezekiel, do you think these guys could live? And then Ezekiel, like a good Christian, says, you know, Lord, you know, you know everything, right? <laughs> See, Ezekiel and God were tight, amen? So Ezekiel knows what God is like. And when he, God asks questions, you better be careful because he's up to something, okay? He's up to something. So what he tells him to do, Ezekiel, I want you to what? Preach to the Valley of Dry Bones. Now, the million-dollar question is, what did God tell Ezekiel to preach? He told him what to do, preach. But what did he tell him to preach? Did you miss that? If you read in verse 4, God said to me, preach to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Notice very carefully, the Bible does not tell us that Ezekiel was commanded to take out his flute and start playing. Now, you're not going to find a bigger music fan than me. I love music. But Ezekiel was not commanded to take out a harp. Amen? He wasn't commanded to take out, you know, a trumpet or, you know, an electric guitar, you know. Right? He wasn't commanded to do that. He was commanded to speak. But not just human philosophies or funny jokes or, you know, current events. He was commanded to speak something very specific, and the Bible tells us it is the word of the Lord. And as soon as he did that, something happened. What happened? There was a rattling sound. Now, it's scary enough to be around dead bones. But when the dead bones start moving around, you have one of two things you can do. Number one, you can pass out. Amen? Or number two, you could beeline it. Okay? And run for help. Amen? But he doesn't do either. He just Maybe he's just stunned. But the interesting thing is that the bones come together and they form, you know, the, the skeletons just kind of slowly. I mean, it literally sounds like a, like a sci-fi movie, doesn't it? The, we're reading Ezekiel 37. We're not reading George Lucas. Amen? Star Wars, for those of you who are not familiar with George Lucas. So the bones are coming together and he's, and they, and they, the Bible tells us that there was no life in them. So what were they in need of? The breath. So Ezekiel commands the winds. He says, come four winds into these slain. And then all of a sudden, the breath comes in. And then what happens? The skeletons all of a sudden start developing nervous, a nervous system. Isn't that kind of weird? It starts developing human tissue. And then all of a sudden, they're standing on their feet. And verse 10 tells us, an exceeding great army. Now, here's my question. What happens when an army is on their feet? What is the body language communicating? And when they're in attention, what does that communicate? They're ready for war. Amen? How in the world does an army go from a valley of dead bones 
Are you beginning to see the importance of this entire passage? How does an army go from a valley of dead bones to an army standing on their feet, ready for war? And if you keep reading, we don't have time to get into it, but if you keep reading Ezekiel 37, when you get home, read it. Don't read it at night, though, because you probably have nightmares. Um, <laughs> read it in the morning before you go to work. You will discover that the valley of dead bones represents the children of Israel. Who are the children of Israel? God's chosen. What's another name for the, the chosen people of God? The church. The church found themselves in what condition? They were dead. Amen? Does this mean that even dead churches can come to life? Does this mean that we should stop pointing the finger at our dead brothers and sisters and start being an example? You see, because Ezekiel was so tightly connected to God that his connection with God made him an instrument to communicate life to his brothers and sisters. After all, we know the host is God, but God used Ezekiel to preach, amen? And he used Ezekiel to command the wind. So even though it was God, God was using Ezekiel to bring life back to the valley of dry bones. Maybe you represent a group of people. Maybe your home is a valley of dry bones. Maybe your family is a valley of dry bones. Maybe your marriage is a valley of dry bones. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are connected to God, to the power source, God can use you to resurrect the spiritual deadness of those around you. And rather than coming to church to a place where it's a bunch of people singing like zombies, it's a bunch of people that are alive and singing with the top of their lungs. Ladies and gentlemen, when God breathes on you, you better fasten your seatbelt because something amazing is about to happen. Amen? Jesus breathed on his disciples in John chapter 20. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 2, God breathed on Adam and he opened his eyes, entered a new dimension of existence. Ezekiel 37, God breathed on the valley of dead bones and they somehow came back to life. And if God could bring a valley of dead bones back to life, what can't he do in your life? Next time you have a very convincing argument or an excuse as to why God can't change you, remember Ezekiel 37. Amen? Because you have hundreds of reasons to believe contrary. Hundreds of different skeletons who came back to life. Run with me to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, and this is really, this is really for the young people. 2 Timothy. As you're going to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is probably, well, actually, 1 and 2 Timothy are probably the most direct messages to young people in the entire Bible. We do have biographies of Daniel, biographies of Joseph, and all of these are somewhat examples to challenge the young people to take their experience with God to the next level. This is true. But if you're looking for one, just practical counsel for young people living in a secular environment, read the book of Timothy. And if you're a young person that you're kind of about ready to throw in the towel because you're like, man, this Christian stuff is like hard. <sighs> I thought it was a piece of cake, but it's so difficult. I mean, I'm realizing that I'm wrestling with myself. 
People out there are not the problem. I'm the problem. If you're at this point, guess what? You're not alone. There was a young man, several hundreds, actually several, yeah, several hundreds of years before you lived, who went through the same problem, and his name was Timothy. So the, the books of Timothy weren't written by Timothy. When I first read the Bible, I thought, oh, this is two books written by Timothy. No, it was written by the apostle Paul, and he was writing letters of counsel to Timothy, okay? That's kind of the background. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and when you're there, please say amen. And Paul is kind of somewhat challenging because Paul and Timothy had this relationship where Paul was kind of like a spiritual father to him. And by the way, we all have spiritual fathers. And if you don't, find one. Amen? Look for somebody in your church. The only reason why I'm standing here today is because the church that I was baptized in, there were, special, there were several spiritual fathers and several spiritual mothers that adopted me. Amen? They actually cared and called me, and when I would try to make excuses not to come to prayer meeting, they would pick me up anyways. Amen? We need this accountability. You can't do it on your own. You need this relationship. And it was rough because I was baptized into a church with no young people. Okay? So all of my friends went from being, you know, kind of thugged out, hip-hop kind of guys to elderly men with beards um, who like to, you know, read and play golf. Um, you, see the <laughs> you see the difficulty that I had? But ladies and gentlemen, because of their interest in my well-being as a young man, I'm alive today. So I am eternally grateful for Michael Johnson, who, by the way, tomorrow night or the night after, I haven't figured out when I'm sharing my testimony. I will tell you a little bit more about Michael Johnson. He's probably the main reason why I'm here today. God using Michael Johnson to minister to me and, another, and several other individuals. 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Apostle Paul here is describing the condition of Ephesus. Timothy was a pastor, a young minister in the city of Ephesus. And ladies and gentlemen, Ephesus was, was a pagan environment, okay? It was like the Vegas of the ancient world, okay? It was like the Miami Beach of the ancient world. It was like the Rio de Janeiro of the ancient world. Okay, you guys get the idea. I'll stop. 2 Timothy chapter 3, notice what he says. In verses, I wonder if I should read. Yeah, let's just start in verse 10 so we get the whole thing. You have carefully followed my doctrine. He's writing to Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy, you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance, my persecutions, my afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. These are the three cities where Paul was stoned, by the way. <laughs> if you want to read it, go to the book of Acts. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Paul is just saying, listen, Timothy, you have been following me to the T, and you've seen how I've suffered for Christ, but you've seen how the Lord has never let me down. Paul is admonishing him. By the way, one of the reasons why he's admonishing him at this, at this intensity and this volume is because this is the last letter that the Apostle Paul penned. Chapter 3, chapter 4. The next thing that happened as soon as he put the stamp on that mail, although I don't think they used stamps back then, and send it off, the Apostle Paul was beheaded by Emperor Nero, who was, he was kind of a kook. He had a lot of issues. But Paul knew that his time was coming, so he wanted to get all of his paternal counsel that he could to young Timothy. 
Verse 12. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. What is he saying? Timothy, when, you're, when you follow Christ, it's hard. And young people, I'm not going to lie to you. Amen? Following Christ is not easy. Amen? But, verse 13, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 13, he's describing the corruption of the culture and the environment. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like 2012. He's talking about the corruption. Now, Paul could have easily began to justify Timothy's lack of faith and Timothy's nosedive in, in his spiritual life. But notice what he does. He could have said, well, listen, Timothy, everybody else is wicked in Ephesus. You might as well just do what they're doing. Is that what he does? No. In verse 12, he describes the wickedness. But notice what verse 14 says. But you, Timothy, although evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, you must continue what? In the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Verse 15. And that from childhood, Timothy. You have known what? The holy scriptures which are able to make you what? Wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul was a preacher, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. That's a mouthful. Paul here is describing the condition of Ephesus. He says, Timothy is only going to get worse. But just because it's getting worse outside of you, it doesn't mean that you have to follow internally. The more wicked you see people outside, the more faithful to God you have to be. And there's a quote by one of my favorite authors who says, we must gather courage from the cowardness of others. We must gather warmth from the coldness of others. I forget the reference. My apologies. I'll find it and I'll bring it tomorrow. So the Bible tells us here that there is no excuse for justif justifying sin and evil in our lives. And Paul is challenging Timothy. I kind of see this kind of like, a, 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 like Phil Jackson, yeah, coaching Kobe Bryant back in his early years, maybe, when Kobe didn't realize the potential that he had, right? So Paul is like a spiritual coach telling one of his star players, listen, Timothy, wake up. Don't give up. Just because you see the rest of your classmates giving themselves over to idolatry doesn't mean that you have to follow them. You make a difference. And it's funny because young people, they want to be different. Have you noticed that? We want to be different, right? So much so that we kind of adopt interesting fashions, right? The problem is that there's about 100 other kids who have the exact same fashion that you have. <laughs> have you noticed that? <laughs> we want to be different, yet somehow it doesn't work. Paul challenged, challenges Timothy and then encourages Timothy to never forget the source of power, the source of motivation, and the source of life. And that source is the Holy Scriptures. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. By the way, Timothy was written in Greek. I don't know Greek. I'm still trying to figure out the English thing. Okay, so I haven't even gotten to Greek yet. But in the original language, in the original Greek, verse 16 doesn't read, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The original Greek actually reads, all scripture is 
God breathed. Isn't that the weirdest thing you've ever seen? All scripture is God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? This is the product. Verse 16, the Bible is the bomb. Amen? Can I use that language with you all? This is family talk. Amen? The Bible is the bomb. It's amazing. It's off the hook. And this is what happens if you read it. Verse 17, this is the product. You ready? That the young man or the young woman of God may be complete. How many people today are incomplete in their Christian walk? The Word of God tells us that if we follow the Scriptures, we will be complete and we will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Translation, the Bible has the ability to unlock the greatest potentials in your life. Those uncultivated strengths that we call weaknesses somehow are unlocked when you are face-to-face with the words of God. And the Bible is given by inspiration, but in the Greek it tells us that the Bible is God-breathed. Translation, when you read the Bible, you are taking in the breath of God. The same breath that he breathed in John chapter 20 when he said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. The same breath in Genesis chapter 2 that gave life to a corpse is the same breath that God has breathed in the pages of scriptures. He's gone. That's a lot of breathing, amen? I mean, that's a big book. God has literally filled the entire word of God with his breath so that when you open it in the morning, you're ready for the day. How many of you fly a lot? Anybody like me fly a lot? I'm sick and tired of airplanes, amen? Oh, I wish they could create like a different machine that just takes you from one place to the other without flying in that, that big, you know, metal bird in the sky. But what they tell you, what the stewards, have you noticed that in every flight, they always explain emergency, you know, protocol. And you always wonder, it's like, you know what I mean? Is this, is this it? Like, Lord, <laughs> you know, it was a good life, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You wonder, you wonder. Sometimes my humanity, I'm taken over by my, I'm like, man, that's a creepy thought. But as the, as the steward, stewardess is explaining, okay, this is what you do in case of an emergency, right? In case of a lower cabin pressure, the, the you know, the little, and then she talks, she talks about how the little guys, the little gas masks fall off. You guys know what I'm talking about, the yellow guys? And he's like, put it, la mascara, yeah, the mask. The stewardess, t- but notice what the stewardess says. The stewardess says, make sure that you put your mask on first. And then later you can assist others. Isn't that awesome? In other words, how in the world are you going to help other people when you're suffocating? That's a brilliant thought, isn't it? That's a brilliant sermon illustration yet how many of us are going through our christian life <gasps> pastor tony says all right outreach time personal ministry you're like where's the door right there's 
is no reason why we cannot do what God wants us to do. It's because we're running on one lung in our spiritual life. And God wants to give you two lungs. If you feel like you're suffocating in your Christian walk, ladies and gentlemen, I got phenomenal news for you. God wants to give you an oxygen mask. But this oxygen mask is somehow finds itself in the form of a book. And every time you open this book, God breathes his sweet breath, his fragrant breath inside your soul. And it brings you into a new level of existence, takes you from one dimension of life to the next dimension of life, and ultimately you receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. Hence, when you read it, you get him. Amen? It's very basic. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of God was actively involved in the inspiration of this book. Well, then if that's the case, it makes sense why we must read it. Maybe tonight you wrestle with spending time with Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, we're told in a wonderful book called Acts of the Apostles that when you go to the foot of the cross, you have reached the highest place in the world. Although it may seem contradictory because you're going to the foot of the cross, but it's the highest place of human existence. And when you do that every single morning, something is going to inevitably happen in your life. You're going to find yourself doing way better in your academics. Amen. You're going to find yourself having a lot better of an attitude. You're not going to be so snappy. Amen. You're going to be optimistic. You're going to see the good in others, not all the nasty stuff that we're so easy at detecting. And somehow you're going to have the ability to resist the temptations externally and the temptations internally. When you get into the Word of God, something happens. I can't explain it to you scientifically. All I can say is that I've seen it at work numerous times. Maria Rodriguez, and I'm going to close with this story, was a woman that was coming to our evangelistic meeting in Columbus, Ohio. This was back in 2002. She came the second night. She was invited by one of the, by the members of the church. And I was able to meet her. We had a wonderful conversation. A few nights, she came every single night. She came to the, except for the first. She came to the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth. I think it was the fifth or the sixth. My friend, my, my evangelist buddy, was, I was one of the Bible workers. He made the appeal for those who want to accept Christ for the first time in their life. And Maria was one of the first people to respond. We said, praise God. So the next day, me and my buddy Omar went to go visit Maria. So we went into her house. We greeted her. She invited us in, very kind, very hospitable. And I asked her, or I told her, Maria, we are so happy that you've made a decision for Christ. This is beautiful. This is wonderful. Have you ever made a decision like this before? She says, no. And I said, well, Maria, tell me a little bit about your perspective on the seminars that we've been having. And she says, Jay, I cannot begin to tell you how amazing these meetings are. She says, I have learned more in one week about the Bible than I have in my entire life. And I said, praise God. And then she said, but. And I said, oh, no. Once you start doing evangelism, you start working with people, there's always awesome things, but then there's that, yeah. But there's something 
So I thought to myself, what could it be? She says, every time I come home after the meetings, I try to go to bed and I try to go to sleep. And she says, but I can't. And I, and I think to myself, oh, that's simple. Either the spirit of God is convicting you of something specific. Either you're just, maybe you just need to let go of something. And I said, well, Maria, I didn't want to assume anything as we're taught at the Mission College of Evangelism. Don't ever assume anything. So I asked, Maria, what's the problem? <laughs> and she says, well, Jay, you really don't know who I am. That's when I got a little nervous. I'm like, you are Maria, aren't you? <laughs> right? You really don't know who I am. She says, Jay, you really don't know where I come from. You really don't know my upbringing. Well, Maria, please tell me, what is your upbringing? She says, Jay, I grew up in a home where we practice an interesting religion called Santeria. Some of you may not be, be informed of what Santeria is. Santeria is a, is a voodoo-based religion where they would sacrifice animals and domesticated animals and do a lot of strange practices. She was raised, I'm from Miami, Florida, and in Miami, this is rampant in South Florida. So she was raised in a home where they would practice a lot of these different things, and she was the granddaughter of the high priestess. Whatever that means, she had a very special role in the line of tradition. So being that she comes from a very deep, dark, spiritually dark home, ever since she started coming to the light, there's been war. She says, I would go home and I would try to go to sleep. And she says, Jay, I would hear voices. And as soon as she said, I would hear voices, I looked to my right shoulder to make sure my partner was still there. Amen? I actually kind of wanted to hold his hand, but that would have that been, been a little awkward. She begins to tell me that the voices get louder and they're yelling at her. And she says that she has to yell out, I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. And she would continue to say that the, that the, the yelling would become even more loud. And then she, she, had, she went as far to say that somehow she would feel punches in her bodies. And she would wake up with scratches all over her body. Ladies and gentlemen, I was praying at this time when she was telling me this. And I said, Maria, do you believe that God has the power to deliver you? And then she began to cry, tears. She says, yes. I said, Maria, do you want to claim this power that God has for you? She says, yes. And I said, Maria, let's, let's kneel down right here in your home and let's pray. So my friend Omar started, then I prayed, and then I said, Maria, I want to give you the opportunity to pray. Maria prayed one of the most beautiful prayers I have ever heard in my Christian life because it was sincere. It was crying for deliverance. As soon as we prayed, we embraced her, tears all over her face. I said, Maria, are we going to see you tomorrow night? And she said, absolutely. And she came early the next night. She came the night after, the night after, the night after. She came to every single night. Night for the altar call came. My friend made an altar call for baptism. And that's when things get a little tense in the audience. And he made the call. And the first person to stand up was Maria. And she was going down the altar. It was kind of like a victory walk. 
with tears in her eyes, but these tears were different. It was tears of joy, big smile on her face. She goes down to the front. Many people follow right after her. We all embraced all of those people who responded, and we prayed with Maria. We said, Maria, we're so happy that God is finally making differences in your life. The next day, me and Omar went to visit Maria. I said, Maria, this is awesome. You've made a decision for Christ. Now you want to be baptized. You've never been baptized. I would imagine she says, of course not. And then I said, Maria, how have you been sleeping? Because she was having issues sleeping. And she says, Jay, ever since you and Omar came to my house and we prayed, I've been able, verbatim, this is what she told me, I've been able to sleep like a baby. And I said, Maria, there's power in the blood. There's power in the name of Jesus. When you say, when you mention the name of Jesus, the, the forces of evil, they tremble because there's power in that name. At the end of our evangelistic meeting, Maria Rodriguez was baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And immediately after she was baptized, she was chosen as to be the women's ministry director. And she would organize a group of women every Sunday to go door to door. And at every door, she would share her testimony and say, listen, God delivered me from witchcraft and from worshiping Satan. And she says, what's your excuse? She was a soul winner. She was a soul winner. Ladies and gentlemen, when the breath of God came into her life, when she came to the seminar and she <sighs> breathed a different type of air, something began to change in her life. If Maria experienced transformation, so can you. Tonight, God wants to breathe in your nostrils. Tonight, God wants to breathe upon you just like he breathed in his disciples. And he, wants, and he says, receive ye the Holy Spirit. But ladies and gentlemen, we have to take in the breath of God every single day. And the way we do this is by opening the glorious pages of Scripture and allowing God to breathe into our souls so that we don't suffocate in the spiritual marathon that we're in. How many of you are sick and tired of suffocating? How many of you are sick and tired of gasping for air in your Christian walk? How many of you would like to have your other lung in your Christian experience actually working? Tonight, God wants to restore that lung. Tonight, God wants to give you his breath. Tonight, God wants to give you life. He wants to raise you from the valley of the dry bones, and he wants, you he wants to make you a soldier in the army of God. And he wants you to be standing at attention, ready to march at the commander's order. And ladies and gentlemen, I see many soldiers here tonight. And I'm not sure where you're coming from or what your challenges are, but I do know that all of us here can use a little more of the breath of God. Tonight what we're going to do is we're going to do something a little different. I'm not going to invite you to come forward. I'm not going to invite you to raise your hand. I'm not going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite you to find a partner close to you. And I want to invite you to pray together in groups of two and groups of three. And I want you to pray that God gives you the breath that he wants to give you. And that you can open your heart and open your life for that wind, for that air, for that breath to come into your experience. So I pray that you find a partner. Look around you in your Close proximity, find a partner. And when you find your partner, spend some time praying, a few minutes praying. And then immediately after we're finished, 
few minutes into our prayers, we're going to have one final prayer, and that will be our closing prayer. So find a partner and ask your partner to pray for you. Say, partner, I need the breath of God in my life. I need to escape this spiritual suffocation and begin praying and asking God to breathe into your life. A few minutes, I will have the closing prayer. Have one final word of prayer. Father, we pray that uh, tonight may be a monumental U-turn in our experience with you. That you help us, Father, to begin to recognize the source of strength, the source of power, and the source of inspiration. Father, this evening we come to you because there's nowhere else that we can turn. Father, we stay with you because there's nowhere else we want to turn. And Father, tonight I pray for the young people that are here. Father, we know that being young in this generation is not easy. Being a Christian young person in this generation is even harder. But Father, we thank you for the example of Joseph. We thank you for the example of Daniel. And we thank you for the example of Jesus, who lived as young people in a crooked and perverse generation where they shined in the midst of that darkness. Help us, Father, to be lights in San Jose. Help the breath, Lord, that you have breathed in us tonight that we may transmit a little bit of that to our friends and family. Thank you, Father. Continue to fill us. This is our earnest plea. Bring us safely here tomorrow. Help us, Father, to bring another brother, another sister, another cousin, another friend, maybe even an enemy, Father. Help us to continue to crave the courts of the Lord, Help us to continue to crave the manna from heaven and the water from heaven as well. Guide us, Lord, safely back to our homes and bring us back here safely. Tomorrow is my prayer in Jesus' name. Let everyone say.